you are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello there, welcome to this week's podcast. This week, we're going to hear from you. This podcast is called Dear Doctor, and it's your voices and your messages to what you would like your general practitioner or primary care physician, just your regular doctor, not necessarily eating disorder specialist doctor, but your first port of call for most medical issues, what you would like that doctor to know about eating disorders. And um, the first person that we're going to listen to is actually a GP herself, lives in the UK. And so a general practitioner, but with an eating disorder. And here's what she would like her colleagues to know about eating disorders. Dear doctor, as a fellow doctor myself and having had anorexia since the age of 10, I've encountered both sides of this story. Through my training, I realised that on the whole, most doctors receive either none or less than an hour's teaching on eating disorders, and an actual interaction with a patient who has one is a seldom opportunity. Therefore, I can appreciate why the lack of knowledge about eating disorders does exist. However, despite this appreciation, time and time again, I have personally been shocked with my own encounters with doctors. It was this that actually led me into the field originally with the desire to help to change the way that the medical profession views someone with an eating disorder. Therefore, from both sides, I have some advice for what I think would help when encountering a patient with an eating disorder. My first encounter was when I was 10 and I went to see a paediatrician, barely clinging to life. He threatened me and told me that I had to lose more weight, that I wasn't quite close to the brink enough before he would feed me. So my first point, never tell someone with an eating disorder to lose weight or that they weigh too much to receive treatment as you'll only propagate the illness and the anosognosia that goes with it. My second point, please do not preach that an eating disorder is just used as a means for control. As in this very statement, you're stating that the sufferer is deliberately using it and with that, the culture of blame has been created. And when it comes to control, having an eating disorder takes your control, it doesn't give it you. It makes you feel like you're treading water. The waves just keep crashing around you and you're just waiting to go under into the icy depths below. As those waves, they just keep upping their ante and they will keep crashing harder. So in this analogy, the so-called control represents the waves. That is the eating disorder. It just keeps up in the ante whilst the sufferer tries to cling on and survive. So if you're treading water with waves crashing trying to drown you, believe me you're not in control. So point three, this relates back to blame. All too often someone with an eating disorder is blamed. Why don't you just eat or stop exercising? Do you not see what you're doing to your family and the upset that you're causing? These are just a mere few examples that I've personally received over the years. And I can say having an eating disorder does not make you blind to what other people are feeling. If anything, it heightens it. So when you tell us of the effects we're having on others, we already will be aware 
feeling deep guilt, shame and sadness as a result. That means that your words will only reinforce this message. These are all emotions that an eating disorder uses to get us lured into behaviours that numb the deep pain of them and take those feelings away. So your words will be like putting petrol on a fire. As for blame, I'd ask you to think, would you tell someone with a breast cancer gene BRCA1 or BRCA2 that their breast cancer is self-induced? If your answer would be no, then I ask you to think why, if eating disorders can be up to 85% genetic, why should you blame someone for the condition, or why should you blame their family? My fourth point, telling us just to stop is one of the worst things that you can do. Do you not think we, we, we wish we could? If it was so easy as just to stop, then there wouldn't be so many people having to go through so much distress, so many emotions and the exhaustion just to get through each day. Either as they're in the grips of the illness or as they try and strive for wellness. So please don't undersell the sheer difficulty that this illness places on a sufferer's life with statements like so. My fifth point, people with eating disorders can get sick with other illnesses too. They due to a fear of judgment, even going to see a doctor for these problems at times can be hard. So when we do, please take us seriously. If we tell you we have an eating disorder, please don't just immediately say that all our problems are due to that. Give judgmental looks, tell us to go and eat or stop exercising or whatever avenue the eating disorder has taken. And please, if you have to examine us, don't look at us like we have the plague in shock, as we will already be scared to expose our bodies for you to examine. Though it's true that eating disorders do put us at risk of other medical complications, please remember that due to the effects of malnutrition, our bodies behave differently to others. Our temperature, heart rate, blood pressure, blood test results may be quite different to your normal patients. So please remember context is relevant when you look to interpret our results. As these factors mean it will be harder to diagnose certain conditions. But equally, the effect of eating disorders can be the explanation for some of the clinical context as well. My sixth point. If we do come into hospital and you are looking after us, then please take into account that for many of us we like a routine. We may only have certain foods or drinks that we can manage. We may have different ways of eating compared to the norm. Some of us may struggle to sit down. We may struggle to stay in bed. We may want to exercise. And all these fears may feel overwhelming which will mean we will struggle to be in the hospital environment. So please, doctor, try and help us to manage our difficulties whilst in hospital by showing some understanding of the illness, some empathy. And when seeing us, please see if you can work together to help relieve some of the stresses. But importantly, please don't judge us. And remember that even if verbally, you don't, we will be analysing your body language too, picking up on every little detail. So if your words say one thing but your body language is painting a different story, it will be your body language that we'll be focusing on. 
as that is usually the true giveaway as to what you're thinking. So I'll end by saying, please doctor, do remember that the very fact you're a doctor means you have a great responsibility. You're in the most trusted of professions. So with that, your words can be gospel to someone with an eating disorder. The illness can thrive off your authority and utilise words you say. If they are in keeping with what the illness wants us to think, we will remember them. So please make the words and the memory of our of your encounter count by giving us empathy, being non-judgmental and giving us the same rights that you would give to any other patient. And please, please give us hope as we can get better from this and sometimes it's that glimmer of hope, the knowledge that we will get better that can truly help us to change. Now, this next snippet is from Louise, and Louise is 42, and she works as a clinical nurse specialist. She has had disordered eating since the age of 14, but Louise didn't seek help for years, and she was diagnosed with anorexia only two years ago, so that was when she was 40. She was not referred for treatment as her BMI was not low enough, but eventually, when she was severely underweight, she was referred for treatment, and she continues her journey of recovery today. So this is what Louise has to say. Dear doctor, yes, I may be older than most people who are diagnosed with anorexia, but maybe that's because I have been living with it for years, afraid to ask for the help that I so much needed. Please do not dismiss my fears and anxieties as if they do not count. Please do not tell me that I don't meet the criteria for referral to the eating disorders unit because my BMI is not low enough, and then become angry with me when my weight does fall below the threshold. When you diagnose me with osteopenia, please do not tell me I should continue running every day and that this is good for me. Please do not treat me differently because I am a healthcare professional and should know better. And advising me to eat and drink more and come back in a month's time is not terribly helpful. When eventually I do get referred to the eating disorders unit and start to gain weight, please do not tell me I am doing well and no longer need to see you. I only ask that you be caring and compassionate. Show me that you are competent, communicate with me and have the courage and commitment to see me through my recovery. Thank you. I went to the um, Bida Nida conference in New York this year, and the year is 2017 for reference, and the next group of recordings are those that I took from people at the conference. The background noise is the conference noise, so um, forgive me for, for the hubble and bubble behind, but I hope you can hear the audio just fine. The first person you're going to hear from here is Lisa. Lisa's a parent advocate. I've actually known Lisa online for years, I think. Um, Got to meet her for the first time at the conference. I think that's the best part about conferences, actually meeting people, quite frankly. Anyway, here's Lisa. We are recording. Okay. So what I think I would like doctors to know about eating disorders are a long list. But I guess I would like to start with that, um, that you, you cannot 
understand or measure eating disorders from looking at somebody or listening to somebody because both aspects of that are distorted in, in both uh, the, the lack of knowledge of what, what, what someone who, with an eating disorder looks like and also how they, uh, you know, how different their behavior is um, when they speak to a doctor versus what they're actually doing with themselves. And so the, 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 the last part of that is, you know, understanding which I wish they understood how dangerous and life-threatening ignoring um, the, the the, the actual symptoms of eating disorders are and how um, a allowing people to continue to to uh, behave to use behaviors of eating disorders uh, robs them of their health and even their lives um, and I think that medicine is so um, so uh, clueless to uh, to being able to identify that maybe you know maybe we need to really um, have a much deeper uh, piece of education for something that's so deadly. The next clip is Erin, and Erin is a researcher from Fordham University. She's actually doing a study looking at fathers or, or parents of sons of boys with eating disorders. So um, I'm actually going to get her to come on to and do a podcast with me about her study. But anyway, this was her answer to the question. Here's Erin. So what I would want a doctor to know about eating disorders, particularly anorexia, is that boys are also affected. And particularly for pediatricians, this is important to be aware of when it tends to be that parent's um, first response to when their child is having um, an eating challenge is to go to their pediatrician. That makes sense. Um, however, there seems to be, and this is based on a study that I'm doing of fathers of sons with anorexia, um, a bit of a lack of awareness of um, boys with anorexia. And I think it's really important as the pediatricians being sort of the first responders to be aware of that. This next snip is from Kendall. And Kendall was a uh Attending the conference. She was really good fun, actually. <laughs> um, Kendall's going to be producing her own pod podcast sometime. Not putting her on the spot, Kendall, if you're listening. We still expect you to produce a podcast. Let me know when you've done it, and I'll give you a shout-out. Here's Kendall. We are recording whenever you're ready. I would tell a doctor that if you don't know what your client needs to say you don't know, Patients are okay with you not knowing at all because we want a doctor who's human. We want to know that you care for us so well that you can refer us to the best caretaker or to actually take the time to research and, and to watch what our needs are. Once you have an ICD-10 code or a DSM code, it sticks with you and it's permanent because insurance um, agencies will always refer back to it even if it's not accurate you can't go back and say well that's not actually accurate and it affects a, a person's ability to have benefits um, and so my help 
um, my healing came from my doctors being patient with me um, and not giving me a code right away and taking three years to research it so that I could know for sure what I needed. And now, um, now I have made significant gains in recovery because I know exactly how to care for myself rather than just having a guess. I think what Kendall said at the beginning there, that's important. Um, if you don't know what you're doing, then just say, I don't know. Probably tricky if you're a doctor. Someone's coming into your office and you don't really know, but they're looking at you for an answer. I think that the harder part here is that there's so much misinformation about eating disorders that many doctors actually think that they do know when really they don't know. And that can be very problematic as well. And it led me to think about... Um, Somebody who I have on the podcast very often, um, Dr. Jennifer Gaudiani, based in Denver, quite near me actually, a wonderful practice. Um, she's an internist who specifies just in eating disorders. And um, I heard recently that she's offering a service where you can, if your doctor, if you, if your doctor, your your primary care physician, or your um, GP is not really savvy with eating disorders but you need them to be because you can't travel to Denver and see someone like Dr. Gaudiani who is very up-to-date in eating disorders then um, she can actually consult with other doctors and talk to them about sort of you know common medications that might be used for things like edema and um, common physical and medical complications of both restriction and recovery and all of these really important things that doctors who are treating people with eating disorders just have to know about to be effective. So I thought that was really cool, actually, that when your doctor doesn't know, and if your doctor can say, you know what, I'm a primary care physician, and I have not spent my entire career researching eating disorders, so I'm not the biggest expert, but I want to be able to help you. They can actually consult with someone who is a really big expert in it. So um, yeah, that's, that's something to think about, and you can um, contact the Gaudiani office I'll um, put a link to, to that in the show notes of this episode so that I think that it's really important that we educate doctors rather than be annoyed at them, which is, I'm often quite annoyed at people, I have to admit, but we should be educating and encouraging people to educate themselves as well. Okay, no more conference noise now, hopefully. This next um, clip is from Julie. Julie is in recovery herself right now. Here's Julie encouragement for a restrictive eater who has uh, osteopenia or osteoporosis, a diagnosis of that, uh, the encouragement to keep exercising even in a mild way is not helpful because basically uh, keeps uh, sustains the belief that exercise is a must. Uh, and it's a slippery slope for in for folks that are restricting and exercising because uh, that it will inevitably lead to overdoing it, no matter how mild the doctor thinks it should be. Plus, uh, the, bo the body will start repairing the bones even without the lean muscle mass uh, issue. Uh, and and the, uh, once the body is back in energy balance and a person can start doing a little bit more exercising and stuff, then the lean muscle mass will really help. 
but the osteoporosis will already the the mending and repairing of that will will start as you go get back into energy balance without the exercise. Um, that's one thing. Second thing I would say to my GP is don't encourage, you know, getting to a certain weight and stopping and, and waiting and seeing how you feel there. That isn't helpful either. Uh, uh, so it'd be good to, for GPs to understand what getting back to energy balance is. And that is a fully restored weight. And also, uh, never, never make any commentary about foods. Uh, about just eat, you know a little extra more and you'll do better you know or don't oh, don't overdo it you know a lot of GPs make that mistake uh, uh, you know you don't want to overdo because uh, uh, you're going to flip over into the other uh, um, uh, spectrum of the eating disorder or um, you don't want to make yourself you know, sick or you don't want to blah, 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 you know, all of that. Uh, GPs have, have always say stuff like that and they don't get, you know, that the, the, the overdoing is not overdoing. It is just the body go, getting out of the starvation mode. Thank you to everybody that sent those in and the people who spoke to me at the Be Danita conference. It's always good to get other people's opinions. I'm going to do more of these sort of um, dear doctor and dear therapist, dear dietitian podcasts uh, because I think it's helpful when people who are on the ground speak up and tell us about their experiences and more importantly tell us um, what can help. I think especially important as of course, are people suffering from eating disorders themselves? But we heard from a couple of medical doctors on here, which can see the um, field from both views, from both places, and both experience treatments, and um, also then understand what doctors' trainings are and and what the protocols actually are and where doctors are coming from as well. So that's incredibly helpful. And parents, parents watch the process, and that's incredibly important to listen to parents' points of view because. They see how treatment affects the person who's being treated. They see it in their house. So I think that parents are sort of these observers that we can really learn from and, and people who are giving treatment can really learn from. So thank you for listening. If you have any ideas for podcasts, then you can email me. My email address is info, I-N-F-O, at tabithafra.com. And you can tweet at me. My, my handle is at love underscore fat underscore. Cheers and until next time, cheerio!